welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning and welcome again to Epiphany Fellowship Sunday morning gathering. Glad that you decided to tune in today. Thank God for those who have been giving and investing in even the ministry work that we are still up to as God has not halted our ministry, although culture and so much around us is halted. Well, you know today that we are in uh, a mini series for the month of December uh, called Advent. Advent. Advent means arrival. Somebody say arrival. Amen. And so we are excited to be in this series. So uh, last Sunday we talked about hope. Second, uh, th- this Sunday uh, we will talk about the next phase of Advent. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2a. Isaiah 61 verses uh, 1 through 2a. It reads like this. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim to the captives and uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Uh, And then it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the day of the Lord, in in the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. Today, I want to talk to you about in our second segment of this series, I want to talk to you from the subject. uh, um, um, Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for Jesus? Let's go before the Lord. Lord God, we want to have hearts that are settled and looking towards you, Lord God. And we're praying today that you would help us to have our hearts in a particular position. The Bible says, set aside Christ as Lord in your heart. Help us to know practically what that looks like, Lord God. And I pray that somebody here today will see Jesus clearly and they would be impacted by the life that he gives deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Are you ready for Jesus? Um, uh, a young man uh, ended up uh, getting married and uh, he, he and his spouse had gotten a new place and um, his parents uh, were coming over and her parents were coming over. And so he wanted everything to be right. So he did everything. I mean, they did everything to get the crib together. Um, and, and, I mean, because he knows that his father was, you know, going to look at everything. And so he wanted to make sure that, that, you know, the grill was right. He wanted to make sure the kitchen was right. The, the, the bathrooms were right. The decorum was right. Uh, his wife as well. And they did everything they could to get prepared. And the reason why they wanted to prepare themselves for that is because they wanted to put their best foot forward because they wanted their uh, their their family to view them in a particular way because they knew that if things weren't in order, they would have a particular view uh, of them. It's interesting, though, that preparing for Jesus isn't as much about getting things right as it is about being prepared to receive what he's bringing. 
See, when it comes to preparing for others, we, we, have, to, we have to prepare to be perfect in appearance for them. But preparing for Jesus isn't really about being perfect. <laughs> it's about being prepared to respond to him. And, and many of us don't realize, and, I, and this, this we'll, we'll get into it later, I don't want to get ahead of myself, many of us aren't in the position to get from Jesus what we think we want or need from Jesus. And so one of the things that I think is very, very important as we look through the phases of Advent is we begin to see uh, that, that there are two phases of Advent. Number one, uh, um, um, Jesus already came. That was Advent number one. And then there will be a second Advent when he returns. However, the, the early church, as you saw last week, created four distinct seasons within or phases within the Advent season. The first one was hope pointing the promise of Jesus. The second one was preparation or waiting or prophecy or, or, or the idea of, 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 of getting ready for him. Next season is joy. Next season is love. The last one. So when we look at number two family. It's interesting. In preparation for Jesus to come the first time, they had to prepare to see him. <laughs> In other words, when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, will we notice that he came? That's very important. Now, now our preparation is different because Jesus Christ already came. We're preparing for the second advent. And, you know, I know people say, get yourself right and get this right in your life. But the Bible says now unto him who is able to present you faultless. So, 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 so the issue is, is getting right. Like, like I, I heard people say, have you gotten right with God to a believer? Well, if you, if you trusted Christ, you're already right with God. So you're not trying to get right with God, get things right and confess all your sin. Just so that just in case you didn't confess some sin, you going ahead. Cause I'm gonna tell you right now, you, you and I have sinned so much. We don't even know when we sinned and don't even know how to specifically confess and repent of stuff that we don't even know that we did that can be on our account that was done, but Christ's blood had to cover it. Yeah. Listen, if you had to, you would, you would lose your mind if you knew all the sins that you've done, specifically. And so one of the things I love about Jesus is that he covers it. Now, this is not a license to act a nitwit, but it's a reality of what we need. Now, preparation, we're going to see, is going to be very important because of what Messiah would eventually bring and what he's going to bring later. But eventually, what, the, what we celebrate in the Advent season of what our Messiah will bring. Now, what's interesting and we'll talk about this even more is one of the ways to miss Jesus in preparing for him. You know, in the Advent season, one of the largest realities was getting ready for the Messiah to come. But one of the major ways was to prepare for the changes that he would bring or in the least preparing for the desired changes he would bring. But when Jesus came, family, check this out. Not many in the nation could respond properly because they had already created in their minds what change looked like. <laughs> they, 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 they created what change would look like. How do I know? Because they expected immediate political change. They expected the overthrowing of the Roman government. They, uh, 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 they expected him to immediately become king and initiated an immediate visible kingdom. The challenge is... 
is that when Jesus came on the scene, the only preparation expectation they should have had was seeing who the Messiah is, noticing who the Messiah is, and responding who the Messiah is. However, they didn't judge the Messiah based on the Messiah's expectations of what should be done. They judged based on their personal preferences. And when you judge based on your personal preferences, what your personal expectations are for what Jesus can do, you'll many times miss the real Jesus based on a created Jesus in your mind. That's why the Bible says Jesus's first sermon was metanoia or repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? Change your mind about your life and what you think things should be like and embrace mine. And so many of us in our lives miss Jesus because we have expectations that he never said he was going to meet. And so as we dive into this passage that gives us really the ministry of his first advent, this is the ministry, the A part, the second part is, is different because that goes into his second advent. But these verses, verses chapter 61, verses 1 and 2a is very, very important to our understanding of are we really ready for Jesus? Point one point one point only. Jesus Christ engages what and who no one else would touch. <laughs> Jesus Christ engages what and who no one else could touch. No, 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 no one else would ever touch. Jesus likes to touch the untouchable things in our life. Look at verse six, verse one. It says the spirit of the Lord God is on me. This is the Messiah speaking in first person about himself and about his role in the incarnation. Um, he's speaking of himself in an interesting stead because he's pointing to the fact that his ministry and what he's called to do is not self-willed, but God-willed. And that's why he said, the spirit of God is upon me. In other words, the Messiah is going to put himself in a position, listen, to be empowered to do what God called him to do. In other words, he didn't start he won't start his ministry. Oh, God, help me today. He won't start his ministry until he has fully what's needed from God to start it. See, many of us try to go before God and stuff God has called us to do. It's not that God hasn't called you. It's, it's, it's that he hasn't anointed you or the season yet for it to happen. Oh, let me see if I can make it. See, Jesus, did, Jesus, was, Jesus had power all his life. Jesus had ability all his life. Jesus did not receive power at his baptism. <laughs> he received the go-ahead for his ministry to practically begin at baptism. In other, in, other, in, other words, in other words, there was a lot of time in the first 30 years where Jesus could have done some stuff. There, 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 there. He, he could have he done all kinds of stuff. He could have just went public at 12. He could have done all kinds of, but he didn't. He waited for his season to come. 
And one of the things in being ready for Jesus is you can't be just pushing out there doing stuff when God hasn't yet appointed the time and the season to come. I like the fact that even though Jesus is God and became flesh, he knew that he wanted to do life in order. And in doing his life in order, what's beautiful is he waited until he was anointed by the spirit to move forward in the necessary practical empowerment, even though he had the positional empowerment, he waited until the spirit came upon him and Yahweh said something. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, go ahead forward in what I've anointed you to do. But he said, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. Um, 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 we can see so many in the Bible that had the spirit of God on them that most of the time, no one did any work until God's spirit came. Yep on them. You got Gideon. He didn't do anything until God's spirit came on him. You got Samson. He didn't do anything until God's spirit came on him. David didn't do anything until God's spirit came on him. In other words, you can have the calling, you can have the opportunity, but until God brings the practical oil and the timing, you got to be what God wants you to be. And so being ready, being ready means being ready before the spirit unleashes the oil for you to go. Oh, man. But what we see next is he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is beautiful. Adonai Yahweh here instead of Yahweh Elohim. Interesting. Pointing to Adonai Yahweh points to the sovereignty of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord God, the one who tells us what to do. The Holy Spirit, let me tell you something tells you what to do. You don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. This is very important because we have a mystical over empowerment disposition where some people think that they can tell the Holy Ghost. Well, y'all heard me say this before, but sometimes I got to remind y'all that the Holy Ghost is your boss and you work for the ghost. This is all building on the beauty of Jesus coming and being prepared. In other words, the, 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 the Holy Spirit being boss and sovereign means that he orders your life, he pushes you forward, and he tells you what to do. So he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why did he say that? Because you see in Matthew chapter four that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the spirit. In other words, um, the spirit he's not telling the spirit what to do. The spirit told him what to do. Now, it's interesting that even when Jesus was doing work, the apostles were doing work and others were doing work, they never asked or commanded the spirit of God to do anything. They only did what the spirit of God influenced them to do by singing the command based on the disposition of the spirit of God. In other words, Peter saw the dude outside. He said, in the name of Jesus, walk. he didn't say, I command in the spirit of God right now. He no, no, no. In other words, the spirit of God moved on him and he moved in response to the spirit. Be careful of thinking that you can move the spirit. So he said, the spirit of God is on me, has anointed me, uh, uh, is on me. The spirit of God, Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me. It's beautiful. And we can go through a bunch of things on the idea of the anointing. But the anointing of God through the spirit is the dedication of a person to a specific work. One of the things that I love about Jesus Christ is that he he knew what he came to do and he knew what he did not come to do. The key to being prepared for Jesus is knowing what you're supposed to do, <laughs> what you're not supposed to do. 
He knew his timing. He'll say stuff like he'll say stuff like it is not yet his time. And one of the things that Jesus understood is he had a very clear sense of self-identity and calling. And that's a beautiful thing in being a Messiah who could have gotten a lot of things done. But he knew that in this season of his incarnation, this is what he was supposed to do. He know that later when he comes back, these are the things that he was supposed to do. So he said in his first in, in, in his first advent, he said the, the son did not come to judge, but to seek and save that which was lost when he comes back. But but then later in his ministry, he says the father has given all judgment over to me. Now, that judgment won't be judged until later when he comes in his second advent and he's he's not seeking to save the lost in the second advent. That season's over. The second advent is when he comes to judge. See see the beauty of Jesus Christ in his anointing, knowing clearly what he's supposed to do, the timing of what he was supposed to do. It's, and, and I'm going to give you this for free. <clears throat> Sometimes God will give you an entire picture of what you're called to do. One of the things we're supposed to submit to the spirit of God under is what seasons are we called to do that particular thing? Because if you put a postseasonal thing in the preseason, you'll shipwreck some of the things and miss and make mishaps in what God is wanting to do through you in that particular season. But if you wait and you're sensitive to God's spirit and sensitive to what he wants you to do, you'll be able to do what God called you to do on time and in season and in a faithful way. So Jesus Christ shows us this beautiful picture of being ready. Now that we've seen a picture of him and just extracted some principles from his life, what does the Messiah specifically come to do? This, this is where some interesting things come in, and it helps us to see our lives. He said to bring good news to the poor. I think it's interesting that he didn't just say to come bring good news. He could have just said, bring good news to everybody. <laughs> but what's interesting is he came to bring good news to the poor. The question is, who's the poor? Who's the poor? Um, the poor, of course, in first reading and a part of the meaning of who the poor is, are those who are economically bankrupt, right? Who don't have much who barely have daily bread. You, you, that, that, that's the poor. He wants to bring good news to the poor. <clears throat> but poor, even though it can include that, um, it's broader than that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall be filled. So, 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 so what's interesting is that Jesus Christ didn't just come for the financially poor. He came from those who were spiritually poor and bankrupt. Now, why did he say, I bring the good news to the poor? Because Jesus came to bring the good news to people who already knew they were broken. Listen, if, 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 it, it, it's hard to receive Jesus if you don't know you're broken. It's hard. If, if you don't think God exists and you think that uh, the, the, the earth came out of nothing into existence and somebody shares the gospel, you won't think you need Jesus because you don't think he exists and you think life is done by osmosis of creation, if you will. Uh, um, 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 many of us don't recognize that we may be functional atheists in how we live our lives because if you have a prayerless life, you don't realize you need Jesus. If you have a wordless life, you, you don't realize you need Jesus. If you have a communityless life, you, you don't realize that you need Jesus. Listen, you have to live in a constant state of God neediness. Yeah. 
In order for God to really work in your life, in order for God to really change, he, he brings good. See, see, only the reason why it's good if he comes to the poor is because the, what, what Jesus has to bring is only good news to those who have bad news in their life. And you can only recognize what Jesus brings as good news if you're filled with the narrative of bad news in your life. And so what he does is he comes and he says, he says, I'm coming to bring the gospel to the poor. Uh, you remember the story about some of you all, uh, uh, may, 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 if, if you've been in church a little while, but I know we're in a generation, unchurched generation, you can't say, you, you know where it is. But, but in the Bible, it says two men were in the temple. Uh, he said, the Pharisee said, I'm so glad I'm not like this man who, who, who's a sinner. And I'm glad I tied do all of this stuff. He said, God, I know I'm accepted. And then, and then, and then, and then the man who was uh, uh, the, 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 the sinner, if you will, he beat his breast and said, Lord, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went justified from that place. Why did he come justified from that place? Because he had a self-awareness of where he was. It wasn't that the Pharisee was better than him. It's the Pharisee didn't realize what spiritual state he was in. One of the things that you have to be very, very keen on is you got to have some self-awareness on where you are spiritually because Jesus can't heal you. He can't work on you like he wants to until you realize your need for him. And realizing your need for him is, is seeing, listen, it's coming to the end of yourself over and over and over again. One of the things I don't want to do is have to come to the end of myself <laughs> to have to see Jesus clearly. You know, one of the things in, in looking at this in the context of preparation, the poor spirit, I see how bankrupt I am. I see what life is like. without. I remember some of y'all don't remember what it was like without Jesus. You, you got to begin going back and looking back on the reality of what was my life like without Jesus. But even as a believer, you got to ask yourself the question, what does my life look like now when I don't functionally abide? When I don't functionally abide and I just keep trying to run and do and work and grind and boss up. And, I, and, and, and the, the, you can sense that distance and the dryness, no matter how much success you have in life, you are, you, I don't care how much money you ever get. Listen, nothing in this world can pay you out of chapter 11 and all of that when it comes to God. You can't buy yourself out of spiritual bankruptcy. Christ has to redeem you out of bankruptcy. You see? And so, the, and so, and so he says he came to bring good news to the poor. Now, what, now what was the good news that Jesus preached? Um, several things here. Several things he, he preaches. He, 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 he preached life in him, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He preached relief from the curse of the law. He said, I did not come to destroy, abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, bring it to its natural conclusion. Uh, he, he also give rest from the exhaustion of trying to keep the law in human strength and the restrictions and requirements of pharisaical legalism. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest. There it is for your soul. 
He, he, he also came to, he proclaimed a good news of true righteousness. He says, you heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, Jesus Christ is constantly upgrading our view of righteousness because most of the time when we create our, our view of righteousness is always what we can view ourselves as doing and is small enough for us to try to put on each other and use it as a metric for what righteousness is. But what Jesus Christ comes in and does is he blows the doors off of what you believe righteousness is because his understanding of full perfection is not just what you do on the inside, but what you think in your mind and what you feel in your heart. <laughs> The inbreaking of the kingdom, he he says uh, again, metanoia for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then not only that, he told his disciples that he would die. He said, "I'll be delivered up to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the high priests, and be killed and crucified, and I will get up on the third day." That that's the good news. He his 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 good news. Listen, had content and scope. That's what we must know. The content was he, we knew he would die on the cross for our sins. The scope is it affects everything in our life. That's the key to understanding the good news that Jesus preached. Why is that important? Because needy people need their souls changed and they need their lives changed. Let me say that again. They need their souls changed and their lives changed. In other words, what we see here is Jesus Christ giving us a whole gospel for the whole person, body, soul, spirit. That's why I love when Paul says, may God sanctify you both body, soul, and spirit. In other words, he understood a gospel that impacted every area of your life. And so when you look at the reality of the fact that um, he wanted to do that, Jesus Christ goes to places and he goes to people. Jesus isn't afraid of going to the worst places to engage the worst people and the worst issues. When you talk about poor and poverty, listen, I was talking to a counselor the other day and she said, when someone's being vulnerable, they're only telling you 25% of their mess. The stuff that you won't tell in your testimony is the stuff that Jesus will come engage. Because the stuff that you don't tell in your testimony is the stuff that's your poverty. That Christ needs to redeem you from and enrich you in. See, Jesus seems to go to places with the greatest need. I love this. Jesus didn't go to the place with the greatest opportunity for himself. That's deep. Jesus could have just went up and went to the Pharisees and Sadducees and he could have said, yo, I'm the Messiah. And they said, show us a sign. He did whatever they said. They would have anointed him as king of Israel. And he could have called a legion of 72,000 angels and they could have come in, uh, dethroned Caesar, took all the centurions out and just destroyed everything and, and, and changed everything. But everybody would have still been in sin. He could have done that. And what Jesus ended up doing is he was born a poor person. He's born poor. He incarnated in a poor community and he became a blue collar worker. Listen, and, and, and Jesus went from there and and, and, and he, he rose out of poverty into his ministry. He didn't come off an earthly exaltation. He came from a heavenly exaltation to an earthly humiliation 
and then came out of that into the ministry in and among people who were absolutely needy. Let me give you something free for Jesus in your own life. Do you only view the sexy places as where you're called to? Do, do you do you only listen? I ain't hating on no city, nothing like that. I'm not hating. It seems like everybody's called to Atlanta, Texas, California, New York. Everybody's called to everybody. Those places are concentrated with people with gifts and talents and abilities and opportunity. Uh, um, 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 but what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus didn't see his gifts at its best use where there's saturation. <laughs> he went to the places where broken people were, where their challenges were, because it, it, most of us, we want to, we go where we feel like, uh, and I'm not dogging up, people are called to those other places. But one of the things I get concerned about, this it seems like everybody's called to those places. But nobody, but when it comes to difficult areas where there's the most economic challenges and the most educational challenges and, and, and places that people can't give back to you as quickly or maybe will never be able to give anything back to you. Everybody seems to not be called to those areas, but they'll tweet about the brokenness that's in those areas. But Jesus, the way his the way Jesus rolled is is he saw himself is not going to a place for his own benefit. He saw leveraging his anointing, his oil, and the work of the Spirit of God on his life, listen, for people who couldn't invest back in him the way he's going to invest in them. Can you, in preparing for Jesus and having a disposition that's Christ-centered, can you sacrificially serve where the shine isn't as great? Can you sacrificially shine where you'd be rejected? Can you sacrificially shine where people would crucify you? Can you do it? See, that's the beauty of Christ's life as our Messiah, as he was willing to go to the places and be ostracized for even being there. They say he's a friend of sinners. Know why, know why it didn't fade Jesus? He's like, yep. Know why? Because he knew who he was. He didn't care what people tweeted about him. He didn't care what people put on Facebook. He didn't care what kind of memes people put up about him because they did it verbally in his culture. But he was so self-confident in what God had anointed him to do and what the spirit of God was on him to do. And he had biblical precedence based on what the scripture said that when people came against him, he just saw it as persecution against his calling. He didn't take it personally. I love the way our God did it. Jesus picked places and people that most people from what he was anointed to bring, he brought it to them. Look at what it says, though. He says, it says he has anointed. I mean, he has sent me to the brokenhearted. Wow. Wow. Like, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Like, I just, I, I think this is just such a central principle of what gospel ministry and our disposition as the church 
in preparation. We're sent to the brokenhearted just as Jesus is because we are the brokenhearted. Um, when you look at the idea of heal here, the word heal in the Hebrew means to encourage, to bind up, to speak words which hearten and enliven one's feelings and attitudes and bringing a wound and bandaging up a wound, if you will, right? Uh, this idea of brokenhearted is interesting because brokenhearted is, a, you know, brokenness is a huge word, right? Uh, a broken, is, of course, points to shattered and maimed, maimed heart, right? But heart in the Hebrew is interesting. And you, some of you may have been around long enough to hear me break heart down. Heart is mind, emotions, and will. Before Christ invades us with the gospel, our mind, our emotions and will, our values, our affections, and our inclinations of practice are godless. You hear me? And so in light of that reality, they all three need heal. Our values need healing. Our, our, our affections and emotions need healing. And our propensity towards doing what is right must be healed. See, Jesus came to heal the broken hearted. Broken hearted, of course, means those who suffer greed, formerly broken, feeling an attitude of anxiety or distress. And so when we look at the healing of our values, what values in your life need healing? Well, what do we mean by him healing values? Your way of thinking and your way of doing things. It means many of us have to come to terms with and have a disposition to recognize that our values can be off. And we need to develop in this generation uh, 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 um, with biblical values. I was just talking to someone this week and they were, they were telling me all kinds of different things. And I, and I said to them, I said, make sure that you run what you're saying you believe about the kingdom, about God, whatever, you're running it through the Bible that you're not merely running it through the culture. I said, because 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, these things I have written to you in order that you may not stray far from the things which are written. In other words, it's so easy to, to it's, it's, it's easy to side with the Bible when it affirms what you already believe based on what the culture is connected to. It's harder, though, to make a biblical decision if the culture and the Bible go, go, go separate ways. Do you go with culture or do you go with the king? And the question on the floor is when you have a new heart, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 verses uh, 25 through 27, he, that, that when you trust Jesus, you get a new heart. And so here, Jesus wants to heal the brokenhearted through belief in the gospel and bringing you into to faith in him where you positionally have a new heart. Now that you have a new heart, your new heart means your value system has to be reinformed and re, re, or rebooted according to God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. Your affections, your, your, and God wants to heal you from some experiences. That's what, that's, what, that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. And not only will he do that, he will heal you and take your will out of bondage so that you can be able to do the right thing. Now, the question is, I'm gonna ask you the question that Jesus asked the man by the pool of Bethesda. <laughs> do you wanna be made well? Um, 
See, many of us want Jesus in our lives until he starts healing stuff. Now, that may sound strange, but I'm going to tell you that not everybody wants to be healed when Jesus comes. Because when the man by the pool of Bethesda, Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He began making excuses of why he can't come out of the state that he's in. Many of you don't even realize it, but you may be, do, do, you, do, you, want, do, you, do you want your, your, your past dealt with? Well, we have to revisit some stuff. No, 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 no. I don't want to, I want to move forward. I just want to go. I just believe that God has marked it off and I, I name it, I claim it, I believe it and it's done. No, that's not how discipleship works. That's not how healing works. Healing works through going to the place where the pain is in order to do surgery on it. You can't, you can't need surgery on your leg and act like nothing happened and thinking that you're just going to be all right. You need to have that particular spot worked on by the surgeon in order to get everything that's needed worked on. And that's what Christ wants to do in your life. Christ wants to prepare you and put you in position in every area of your life to experience comprehensive wholeness and comprehensive healing and comprehensive change. And so that's why he does what he does. And I love this. I love this because I know that there are areas in my own life that I'm going to have to say, okay, Jesus, it's time to heal it. Can you please help me and begin working in my life? Some of us need healing and don't know it. Some of us need healing and don't know it. You know, many times in your life, you can be where you are is because you have areas of brokenness that you don't even know that's affecting you, that you need God to invade change and put his balm on so that you can begin to be all that God wants you to be in every area of life. And sometimes preparing, sometimes before you can be healed, you have to be prepared to, be he to receive the healing. And one of the first steps to preparing to be healed is acknowledge that probably somewhere in my life I need healing. Listen, if you understand the sound of my voice, you need healing in some area of your life, your mind, emotions, and will. Just assume it. Just assume it and ask God to do that. Now, guess what happens, though, uh, th th that's beautiful about Jesus Christ? Because if you don't get healed, you can't get free. I'm, I'm, listen to me. If you... Don't get healed. If you don't get healed, you can't get free. Okay. How do I know that? Look at the next part of the verse. To proclaim liberty to the captives. It can literally be translated to open the prison doors. I don't even know if y'all going to hear this part. Just because the prison doors get open don't mean you'll walk out of it. See, if you're not healed... You'll view the prison as a paradise. I'm by myself. And, and what can happen is, is that when you get used to your prison, when you get used to, you become what's called a convict. A convict is a person that has fully been institutionalized into the prison system. 
so that if they got out of prison, they wouldn't know how to act because of the way that they've been socialized and developed in the in the micromanaged foolishness of the prison system and in the underground economies and way of thinking and way of doing things in prison. So some people, this is what they'll do. They'll get out in healthy society. And they'll be like, they, they, they've been in prison for so long that being out of prison is no longer comfortable for them because they are used to being a convict and so they do something in order to get back in prison because they're more comfortable locked away than they are free. Help the people, sir. Some of you are comfortable being locked away. It's just like the, the old adage of the elephant. They put the chain around the elephant's leg and and then the elephant, you know, chained the elephant and the elephant, elephant, you know, kept trying to get away, couldn't get away. Over and over and over again, they, 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 the elephant would try to get away and couldn't get away. And then the elephant just gave up from ever getting out of the chain. But then one day, the person took the chain off the elephant. And the elephant was chained for so long that it didn't go past the boundary that the chain held it to. And because of that, even though there was no longer a chain on the elephant, the elephant functioned based on the circumference of the chains pulled on it, and it mentally affected the elephant. See, God, in this verse, Jesus opened the prison doors for those who put trust in Jesus. The doors of the prison in your life is already open. But you have to let God heal you so that walking out of the prison feels like freedom. That's why this is the day of Jubilee. It's just pointing to the day of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, verse 10, right? Because Jesus is proclaiming freedom to the captives. In other words, he's, he's proclaiming comprehensive freedom in every area of life where people and things that were holding on to you have to let you go. <laughs> Jesus is saying to you, he wants you to be loosed and let go. And listen, the prison, if you know Jesus, your door, the, the doors of your prison are open. The only prison that still exists is the one in your heart and mind. And you need the gospel to heal you as a single person to enjoy your singleness. As a, as a married person to enjoy your marriage and as a, as a parent to enjoy your children. As a, like, like there are things in our life that we dysfunctionally function in because we don't have a biblical and clear picture of what life is supposed to be like in these times. You know, as I begin to land this, one, one, this passage is really a famous messianic passage, even for the New Testament. This was one of the, this was the first time we hear Jesus actually like reading a scroll is in Galilee. He reads this in the Galilean synagogue and he said, these things have been fulfilled in your hearing. He stopped at this section that we're on now. But then you see later that John the Baptist, John the Baptist gets put in prison. <laughs> prison right and then it says then John's disciples told him about all the thing these things the things that Jesus was doing it says so John summoned two of his disciples 
and sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? In other words, listen to this. Even John the Baptist, when he got in prison, doubted who Jesus was. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, he had a hard time in his life because he got in, put in prison for no reason. And because John even had a picture of what his expectations of Jesus was, it affected his ability to remain faithful to understanding who Jesus was. It says, and when the men reached him, they, they said, John the Baptist sent us, that went to Jesus, sent us and asked you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Listen what Jesus says. And at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus is basically paraphrasing Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2a. He understood who he is. When his cousin and the forerunner prophet to his ministry was doubting. For many of us, we have our own picture of who Jesus is, which will always affect your life and your ability to be healed and your ability to be free. Part of being prepared for the Messiah is the ability to see who he is from his perspective. Everyone has a picture of who they think Jesus is and what he's like. You know, we got a picture of white Jesus, black Jesus, soft Jesus, political Jesus, hippie Jesus, revolutionary Jesus. <laughs> and I quote the famous hip hop philosopher, Shobaraka. Maybe it is both. What's your standard? What's your stand? What's your views? What gives you the right to think the way that you do? Is it school? Is it news? Is it man's wisdom? Is it religion? Why listen when you can make your own decisions? It's funny how some people see the Lord, see him as a pacifist, see him with a sword. The Lord who hated sin showed grace to the thief, saved the lonely prostitute from being stoned in the street. He was holy, but he hung with the sinful, uh, drove out the wicked by flipping over tables in the temple. He took a wrongful death, yet he remained silent, but he said he is coming back and he's bringing violence. Many people isolate him just to make him fit their cause, never to involved in a greater context at all. So are there to Christ total, totally unrelated or maybe there's one Christ and he's pretty complicated huh pretty complicated or maybe it is both <laughs> or maybe it is both our Christ is massive he's big but he never fits into your glass jar of who he is he gets to call the shots he puts the anointing on you he brings the challenges. He opens prison doors. And it's your, your, it's your job to follow. It's his job to lead and feed and your job to swallow and follow. My prayer today 
is that Jesus is more than your personal, mental, emotional, psychological, social, intellectual, and spiritual painting of who he is. I'm praying that we will allow Jesus to tell us who he is versus us having demands. Jesus isn't some political leader that has to fit in our categories for voting. Yahweh already voted Jesus as Lord. It says, and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. <laughs> So my prayer for you today and I today is that our hearts will be prepared and our lives will be prepared for everything Jesus has for us. And that means not getting it ready by beautifying it, but by admitting where it actually is so he can change it. That's how you prepare for Jesus. I'm done. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Well, the first way to prepare is to trust him as Savior, putting your confidence in what he's done on the cross, getting up from the grave and with all power in his hand, trusting that he died on your behalf. That's how you that's the first and most important way of preparing for him. And how do you do that? You admit that you're a sinner and you are in desperate need of grace and he'll take you from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. If that's you, let us know in the comments uh, and they'll put an email there where you can email us and we'd love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Well, this is our time for communion. Communion is a time to celebrate the Lord's death. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal, he took the cup. He gave it to his disciples and said, blessed it. He said, this is my blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which was shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let us drink together. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for being with us today. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.